This is Ableton Cast. I am your host, Kevin, and I wanted to do a podcast on Ableton because, like you, I'm an Ableton nerd. I love it. I need it. I dream of it. Anyways, enough. This is for the person who wants to learn more. So I'm going to be chatting to lots of different Ableton users who I think are using it in a cool way. So fasten your seatbelt, sit back and relax. Here we go. So here's my conversation with Mr. Nathan McKay. Nate, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. Are you ready for the questions? How or why did you get started with Ableton? Right. Well, the reason I got started with Ableton is because my friend Chris Stinson, who's a mentor of mine, uh, concert promoter and also what I call a bit of a futurist. He's always researching future trends and he subscribes to RSS news feeds and so he knew about Ableton uh, several years ago. He was telling me as early as 2010 uh, that I had to either get an Akai APC40 or as soon as the push was invented he's like man you got to get on uh, this so you can just trigger new ideas and lots of creativity and spontaneous flow. He knew that I like to improvise a lot, and then I was really focused on having fun as a musician. He said I would really thrive. It took me actually three years to kind of pay attention to his advice. Uh, but as far as I know, I am the first uh, person in my city to own an Ableton Push, uh, kind of verified by our friends who work at the music store. They are kind of the first order of a push to the store. And our friend Andrew Maver, uh, I figured he might have been the first uh, because he was the first Ableton user I'm aware of in town. But, uh, yeah, so I started in 2013. I was kind of inspired to get back into the recording game after doing a trip to Nepal for a friend's wedding where I brought a digital 8-track and a Zoom recorder and recorded my jam sessions with different people there. And that kind of uh, lit the fire under me again. Uh, Kevin and I had recorded somewhat in the year kind of 98 to 2000, just kind of on a Panasonic tape recorder. But as I wanted to kind of grow and revisit recording, I figured Ableton is the next step and uh, just kind of got a new mindset and, uh, you know, I'd taken a financial workshop about how to, you know, put your money towards assets. So every paycheck I was always putting money towards gear and I quickly saved up for a MacBook and got Ableton and I got the standard version and I think I upgraded to Suite uh, shortly after. And I had my push right from the get-go as soon as I had my Mac. So, you know, I started right away just kind of opening the, the software and really had no idea what I was doing. I'm not really an instructions kind of guy, so I didn't even <laughs> read the manual. <laughs> I just started clicking stuff. <laughs> and so some of, my, some of my first songs were really just drag and drop a couple instruments and were like maybe three or four tracks deep and were just kind of basically jam sessions. But... I, I remember taking one of my first mixes and I showed Andrew Maver. I ran into him at a bar and he's like, oh man, you got the drums panned this way. He's like, you got to put the drums and the bass in the center, pan the other stuff. And so he had told me about the Warp Academy and he said he was working together with Vespers and a few other people on a as a team to create the Warp Academy, which was a school that would support Ableton users. And he encouraged me to take their introductory course where it's like learn 90% of Ableton in 30 days is kind of the tagline yeah. with the course. And that course was maybe about 150 bucks and uh, Canadian. you can, yeah, Canadian, you can rent it for a year. And so I took that course and had a right to use it for a year. And I, it took me 
as they said, you know, a good part of a month to get through the course. But when I did it, uh, my skills kind of grew a significant amount, and I could start to do uh, songs that sounded like actual songs and start to arrange and things like that. It wasn't just like these little four-track jam sessions that I was doing leading up to taking that course, but that definitely changed everything for me as an Ableton user. Yeah, okay, cool. So can you tell us sort of how you use Ableton? You know, do you use it live? Do you use it in the studio or both? Uh, mostly in the studio, I would I would call myself uh, a backpack producer. I'm too extroverted to be stuck in my studio, uh, which uh, probably I look at about five to six hours a day that I work on music. But That's quite uh, a I feel this. Yeah, I feel the studio is too isolating, so I actually prefer to go to coffee shops and bars and work on music. And there's the kind of two advantages of that is that I get a bit of social time in. And I got to say hello to people intermittently throughout the day. I have short conversations. Usually try and stick to about five minutes because I try and get back to my work. Because uh, usually I'll be kind of on fire writing a track. I'll see a friend. <laughs> and uh, you don't want to get distracted too long. But you want to have a bit of a social recharge as an extrovert. I need that kind of stuff. So I typically do 20 hours a week in public and 10 to 15 a week at home uh, after different places close. So I typically go to... A uh, coffee shop called Revel from 2 p.m. till 6 p.m. four days a week, and one of the advantages of that is that the owners uh, are connected to the Stratford Festival. It's a Shakespearean festival, and also one of the owners is a musician. So you have a lot of uh, actors that are kind of trained uh, in music, song, and dance, and as well as other musicians like to drink coffee there. And what happens is I end up getting some surprise collaborations because I'll say to these people hey, do you want to hear some music? Do you want to play on my album? And they're like, when? I'm like, right now. And they're like, what do you mean right now? And I'm like, this is an Ableton push. It's like having a 64-key keyboard in your backpack, a sequencer, and a drum machine. You can do anything you imagine. And I say, what instrument do you want to play? And I remember in the case one day, Dan Wetlaufer, uh, who's uh, a cousin of Dave Kalmuski. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he was in Revel, and I said hey, check out this track. He liked the track. I'm like, what do you think it's missing? He's like, I think there should be cello on that track. And I said, I'll pull that up. And I actually used uh, samples that I bought, uh, I believe, through the Ableton uh, main website, through their loop packs. I bought uh, Boston Pops Orchestra uh, sample pack. And so I was able to launch those multi-samples and uh, put them on my push. And then Dan played some cello lines on a kind of a a relaxing loungy jazz song that I was producing at the time. And so he did a performance I would have never imagined on my own. And so that's the advantage. I've had around a dozen uh, guest collaborations on my album through coffee shops alone that I just were spontaneous invitations to play. Uh, I even got to incorporate Anna Atkinson, who was the fiddler and fiddler on the roof at the Stratford Festival. Uh, she was pretty strapped for time, but I said, how would you like to do a 16-bar solo, and she's like, I got time for that. And uh, <laughs> we we did a, a dueling uh, synth solo, uh, kind of on a jazz fusion hip-hop track, uh, kind of inspired by the way Leonard Skinner has dueling guitar solos, where you pan one solo to the left and one to the right, and there's a bit of a battle there, and there's kind of like a live sponta- spontaneity to the solo, so it was really cool to capture that, because she's really known for her singing and her fiddle playing, but it was cool to get her to do uh, a jazz fusion synth and just kind of uh, fly by the seat of her pants. But it's, you know, those kinds of crazy collaborations that I've been able to have on my album as a result of being able to have my 
computer and my Ableton products and MIDI controllers right in my backpack. We didn't say it right at the beginning, but Nate is from Stratford, Ontario, Canada, uh, which is a town where I grew up. And Nate and I, we've been best friends for years and years and years. But uh, I just wanted to say, like, when I walk through town with Nate, it's pretty much impossible to go anywhere where there's not going to be somebody that knows Nate. That's not going to be somebody who's stopping to say hi. So I can definitely understand how when you're in the coffee shop, it's pretty hard for you just to sort of be isolated and just do music because so many people know you and everybody kind of wants to stop and stop and say, hey, which is cool. But you're you're also quite disciplined, so you're not afraid to say, um, hey, it's been great talking to you, but I got to get back to this as well. You know, that's something I actually learned from you, Kevin. I remember in high school, we used to bug you, why the heck are you practicing bass two hours a day? <laughs> and I could never understand. Just like I just felt like, you know, 15 minutes, 45 minutes a day on guitar was enough. And I'm like, screw it. I got to go have fun with our buddy. <laughs> Jeff Arnold, uh, who was always up for an adventure. He was our friend that was more about fun and less about music, but somehow we all got along. But uh, here we are all these years later, and I kind of clearly understand why Kevin practiced two hours a day and how easy it is when you do what you love. And I would definitely encourage uh, people when they are studying or practicing, make sure you're incorporating a certain level of fun because I felt for years I felt pressure to learn classical and jazz in a way that was kind of grueling and wasn't necessarily that fun. But I think uh, kind of pairing, you know, a bit of serious practice with a bit of fun is probably the best formula for progressing musically. Uh, I know we do have a friend who who uh, was told to practice uh, so much so in a day that he would look out the window and see his ki- his friends playing across the street, and that's always uh, held him back uh, just with connecting with other people because he didn't develop those social skills and uh but he was remained an excellent musician but part of you know this whole experience especially when you're doing ableton live is being able to connect uh with people and collaborate and being able to communicate and so yeah i just definitely value connecting with people over music and uh kind of keeping a 50 50 split of fun and discipline yeah so yeah kevin definitely influenced the discipline part of of my musical experience Yeah, it's interesting, like that discipline. I didn't know it at the time, but it sort of came from, I remember asking a guy who worked at the music shop, like when I was like 15 years old, and I said, you know, how do I become good? I think at the time I started on guitar, and I said, how do I become good at something? He said, well, practice for two hours a day, and you'll become good. And so I said, okay. And so I I really (laughs) took that on, and of course now I, I can't practice two hours a day unfortunately but that that two hours a day when i was you know sort of 16 through the i don't know maybe 16 to the age of sort of like 22 that's really that's really kind of like helped i'm just i'm still sort of riding the wave of that sort of like that that discipline um i mean i've definitely lost a lot playing bass which is my main instrument um i'm not as sharp as i used to be um, but I still have a lot of the chops from when I was younger. So, you know, right. get older, you do have some more demands with your schedule and you don't have as much time, you know, to put into music or whatever it is that you're passionate about. Um, mm. But if you can do it when you're younger, then it's great. Or, I mean, you're actually a great example of somebody who 
makes time for things. And I think it's quite interesting how you, you've kind of been really deliberate about your schedule and how many hours you work a week. Like you've specifically taken on less, like what is it? You work 20 hours on average a week where you could 20, 20, 25 hours, regular rotation plus on call. I have a yeah. job where I do have the ability to say no to shifts that are offered to me and give them to other part timers. But that gives me the control to work more when I need to, but also say no if I have creative projects on the go. Uh, like, for example, uh, the next two weeks I'll be rehearsing for uh, a rarely performed live show. I, I probably play once a year live, but you know, inspired by the artist Younger. You can see Younger on YouTube, Y-O-N-G-R. I believe Kevin turned me on to him. Uh, that guy's a kind of an Ableton Power user of sorts, and really understands the actual live end of the Ableton Live. Uh, I mostly produce and do kind of live improv and stuff like that and really take... uh, One of my techniques is really taking the best of 10 takes. I'll usually give 10 stabs at something and then I'll take the best of that and comp different ideas together and arrange kind of under that that way. But there's other people who really like the actual live flow of Ableton. And so I aspire to learn that because... Uh, recently, I was asked to do my Global Fusion electronic music that is basically made possible because of sample packs that I use uh, from Ableton and also Loopmasters.com is a common place. And so I'm able to play instruments that I couldn't technically maybe afford, uh, say like a, a Guzheng, you know, I think the starting price for those things are at least 1200 anywhere to upwards of $10,000 for a Guzheng. Uh, what, so what the heck is a Guzheng? A Guz a Guz what? Guzheng Guzheng <laughs> is like a it, it's like a Chinese uh, lap harp. It's got about like thirty strings, and you sit at it like a piano, but you pluck it like a harp. And so I really enjoy that instrument a lot. And so I was actually able to buy multi sampled Guzheng for about eighty nine dollars from Ableton. And so that uh, I have about four songs that have Chinese. Uh, influence percussion and string samples and i use i like eru as well which is like a two-string chinese violin and so i like to incorporate that stuff into hip-hop and use break beats and stuff like that and so uh it's nice that you can buy multi-sampled instruments and use them with your ableton push uh that you wouldn't typically necessarily have the budget for all these instruments but there's a lot of cost savings because even if you were to import one of those or buy one from one of the bigger centers like vancouver or toronto they would likely sell them. Even just keeping them in tune is a bit of a nightmare. So having multi-samples definitely keeps the stress down. Okay, so here we go. Part two of my conversation with Nato McKay. Nato, welcome back. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got the quick fire round, which the uh, whole goal is that I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want you to try the best you can to answer with sort of five words or less. Okay, challenge accepted. Yep. Favorite stock Ableton plugin? The Hot Tubes Saturator. Okay. Favorite third-party plugin? Joey Sturgis's Gain Reduction Compressor. Nice. Uh, if you had to choose one or the other, session view or arrangement view in Ableton? Arrangement view. Yeah, me too. Analog or digital? Digital. Okay. Best plugin for drums? Superior drummer. All right. Uh, favorite mic for vocals? The Rhodes NT1A. Condenser okay. microphone. 
Yeah, it's a good one. I've 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 heard yours and love it. Uh, which is better for you, Silent or Serum? Uh, less familiar with. I'll say Silent. <laughs> you want the short answer? Yeah. yeah okay. okay. Ask okay. that question again if you want to edit that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, favorite plugin for synth bass. For synth bass? Yeah. Um, uh, massive. Yeah, good call. Uh, dubstep or house? Dubstep. Real drums or samples? Samples of real drums. (laughs) 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 All right, next. (laughs) That's what I do. I like the organic stuff. I'm not much of an FM synthesis uh, drum kind of guy or, you know, where they do the stuff from scratch, from sine waves. I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got to get my composure after that one. Okay. (laughs) So next section, this is the sort of 60 second breakdown section, which is um whichever sort of producer artist i'm talking to i have them send me 60 seconds of one of their tracks and then we have a listen and then after that you and i are going to walk through so why don't you tell me what this track is called that you've sent me yeah this is called uh john 2 remix Uh, the way this song was created was I was scrolling my friend's Instagram and on a Wednesday night and she said, song I'm working on. And it was just a 30 second video. And I thought, man, I love that melody. I'm going to pull that and finish the tune tonight and surprise her tomorrow. So that's what we did is uh, through that Instagram audio into Ableton, started chopping it apart and uh, got some cool vocalisms and uh, put some chords down on a drum rack and kind of hammered those out and made my own beat out of her song and then we kind of arranged it into an intro with a verse uh, two verses a couple choruses uh cool outro and some turnarounds and stuff like that and it has 67 tracks uh that make its entirety and uh kevin and uh friend jeremy uh, contributed an additional 25 tracks to a song that I thought was pretty much done except for bass, but they envisioned more, so it definitely became a thick, ambient hip-hop track. So, what do you want to know about uh, the 60 Seconds? Kind of what's in it? or 
you can just kind of like summarize just roughly obviously you've got a lot of tracks there so you don't have to kind of say everything but if you can just kind of start with start with the drums tell us sort of how many tracks of drums you've got and we'll go from there okay yeah so trying to get to the actual break beats that we use did you use the daring king stuff on that you know what we actually did not these drums actually come from the same record that uh, Vanilla Ice uh, sampled, Ice Ice Baby. It's a 60s record. I'm not even sure the name. I actually worked on the drums of my friend uh, Shane uh, Edward Bear is his uh, DJ name. So he goes by Edward Bear. And so uh, he's actually a crate digger friend and he has uh, over a thousand 45 inch records or not 45 inch, 45 RPM records. And uh, seven inches, that's right. He has over a thousand seven inch records. So anyways, he came over and he knows where a lot of those original breakbeats are from those famous 90s, uh, 80s and 90s hip hop songs and soul songs. So we actually sampled the drums from that. And so the kick and the snare come from that old 60s record. And some of the the rides and hi-hats come from in, in Ableton Suite. You have some drum hits. So we just got a few crashes, but all the drums come from an old 60s record oh cool on on that we did a little bit of compression and uh some eq is this ableton stock compression or is this your joey sturgis compressor uh yeah no i used joey sturgis one mainly on vocals uh but yeah we used the stock compressor uh eq and the hot tube saturator so not a lot of processing on the drums uh when they say get drums at a good source because they're already compressed and whatever in the 60s and they sound pretty good on record we didn't have much left to do but maybe raise a bit of the bass and take out the muddiness and get a little bit of high mids in there for the thwack of the snare so that's kind of how we did the drums i was kind of looking for breakbeats typically i'll grab some breakbeats from i bought the raw super pack from from loop masters it's about three hundred dollars and has five thousand three hundred dollars Oh yeah, it has. Because <laughs> You're it, it an comes, animal. It comes <laughs> with five five thousand hip hop samples, so you kind of not short of inspiration on that. So that's our usual process on hip hop. But this one, we actually finger drummed out on the Ableton drum racks by putting in samples of the the kick and snare and some other elements from that original forty five RPM record from the sixties, and and then some of the other elements are. Uh, Jeremy did a few guitars. Kevin did a few guitars. We have some synths. We have three basses, so one that's focusing on the sub and one on the mids. And then we have a bunch of uh, transitional things like down sweeps and risers. I have a tiny little bit of the gospelmusicians.com basilisis uh, funk. Uh, it's like a a digital bass that they put out or a bass synth just on the intro and then we have some sub drops we put in there's some claps and some snaps we have some crashes and some bells and there's verb claps and stomps we got the stomps from uh, i want that sound organic pack yeah yeah really that's a good cool one. organic sound so those are on some of the transitions we use those as impacts and we have a little bit of percussion and a few different kinds of cymbals 
And we also uh, got the ride symbol out of one of the kind of stock samples that comes in Ableton's suite. But that's uh, essentially what makes up the song, in addition to the original sample that came from John 2, was just her courting and doing some oohs and ahs on piano, trying to work out the melody. And she was just comping the chords and kind of sparsely singing the melody. And I took that and put it on the Ableton drum rack and hammered out my own version of her kind of melody for our song. Yeah. Did you do much to the, the bass that I sent you? Because the bass that I sent you, I I put it through a, a couple of plugins. One, I actually I did record it in Logic just using one of their sort of Ampeg bass profiles. And then I'd used uh, a Waves SSL channel strip and then the R bass plugin. So that was right. what I sent to you. But I, I never knew what you did on your end with it, if you did anything. Yeah. So right now I'm clicking on the SSL base that you sent me, and I raised uh, the low end a little bit and then dipped around 200 hertz to get rid of some of the mud, yep. and then kind of brought some of the attack and clarity out uh, between 800 and 1,000 kilohertz. Yeah, so is and this just Ableton EQ8 that you're using? It It, it is, yeah, and... You can uh, modify the EQ8, so I actually turn all of the, uh, each of the EQ kind of arcs on, and I save that as EQ8 all 8, because its default setting is actually just 4, Yeah. and so I like to work with all 8, and so on bass, I recently learned to do a high cut and get rid of all the top end, uh, to let, you know, the guitars and the synths shine through. Yeah. So on one of the, you did a camel fat bass. Uh, that also has, there's no high end on that. It's just uh, low mids and kind of the sub. Yeah, it uh, was basically I, just my track doubled with the, with the Camel Crusher on it. Right. Just, uh, but I do I do cut off. I, I heard, unless you're playing in giant nightclubs, you don't need between 30 and 80 hertz. So I actually yeah. kind of sweep that off uh, to give some clarity. Uh, and then we have another bass here uh, that I have dipped uh pretty heavily around uh 250 300 hertz yeah was this uh, just the synth bass then uh i called it kevin bass one it's okay bass one from you yeah and then the other one's 